1: We're gathered here today to join Mike and Jill in holy matrimony.
0: This is Chris Rainsforth is back. He is the head of best practice, operational best practice at Verin and was the second proper guest I had, episode three. Um, I've always enjoyed chatting to Chris, you can tell, because this is a long one. We go full Joe Rogan on this one. So uh, hopefully you're, I was going to say a long journey, people aren't really doing them so much anymore. But yeah, this one is a good nearly couple of hours and we'll be doing more chats like this pretty much every other week we just enjoy having a chat so hopefully you do too hey chris chris rainsforth from verin is back you were one of the i think you were the second or third guest on i put hey, this well-
1: together one of the pioneers uh, back it's in the day Matt, and you've gone from strength to strength since then mind uh, i feel privileged to be back uh, based on the caliber of guests you've had after me uh, that first time so yeah i'm very privileged
0: i'd like to say that i that things have changed massively and i've really really improved but nothing really has changed it's still just me wanting to talk to people that i find interesting and seeing what happens <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that's where we'll get to today I think that's the thing, that's the, we'll just talk and see what happens, people might learn some stuff from this, we will, we'll find out
0: I hope so, I mean we, we caught up recently didn't we for a virtual coffee and I know um, those are becoming more and more, well everyone's been doing them in um, in the in the pandemic and I, th- I guess they just is it a sign of our progression that they don't feel awkward I can remember the first time someone invited me to one at lockdown one or whatever the the prequel was called and it just felt a bit weird it was fine when when i got on and we were chatting but at first it was a bit oh this is a bit strange
1: yeah i think we have come accustomed to it a little bit it is it is weird and it's still now i'll go to meetings and st- there's still some people that have looked at the turn cameras on things but i think it's becoming more acceptable to do those just general catch-ups i think people are doing that i mean i'll do that with, with some of the guys on my team we will just start to say look have you got five minutes for a chat just to just to kind of clear your head around stuff or just bounce some ideas off and videos on having that there um, so i think in one way it's um it's helped through the pandemic for a lot of things but i think it's helped in building broader relationships especially in my world where we are a distributed workforce anyway, there 's a lot of talk around distributed workforce, so as a team, we only get together maybe one, two times a year anyway, and that 's always been the case what i 've thought or what i've felt over the last kind of eight, nine months is that we 're catching up a lot more than we have done in between those face to face sessions and I think it 's been a real positive step forward for people
0: definitely Have you had anyone someone said something to me that was interesting the other day around um not it's it's the fact that you can give yourself meetings and some people will say well this has always been the way but meetings on zoom or whatever the format is that people are using back to back to back to back near enough all day every day all week and that kind of zoom fatigue or it's it's meeting fatigue but with a slight difference because there is just it seems like unless the the normal sort of chit chat that you have if you're face to it, face it feels to me like it's kind of really shortened and you have to make a conscious effort to have that chit chat rather than go straight into work because if you're just constant work and then go to another meeting another meeting another meeting I absolutely get how it was one of my team actually she said I'm just exhausted zoom yeah. exhaustion and we've started as a result to uh, really push that people have to be far more on top of their calendar to give themselves those breaks, go and walk outside, go and have lunch. It sounds so obvious, but is that, is that
1: something? I, yeah, no, I agree. and I think that it's really important for me that we kind of you know protect your own time during the day. I think that's really important to do. I think you're right. People on Zoom, they get on. And because people expect people to be available all the time now, because you, you're not going anywhere. So the expectations, unless you've got another meeting in, you're available. And sometimes you, 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 you're at a loss to say no. So you don't say no. The next thing you know, you you log on at nine o'clock in the morning or whatever it is, and it is, it's back to back to back. So I think there is a lot of, we have to take that responsibility as an organisation to, to make sure people have got that time. Um when we're doing stuff face to face, especially for me, you know, you could go, it could be in a different city every day of the week and you have those natural breaks and those natural pieces of downtime, whether you're traveling, whether you're in the car, whether you're on a train, whatever those things might be, you have some natural downtime, which builds your energy up to then go into that next meeting. I think you know. I do sometimes feel sorry for the people that are booked to meet me with me at kind of four thirty, five o'clock in an afternoon, and think you're not getting the best of me here
0: yeah. because
1: I'm, <laughs> I'm, a- I'm exhausted, you know. Uh, and I, I, and sometimes I will look at that and go, look, can we push this out to tomorrow morning, or or just change it because I'm I'm not convinced I'm going to I'm, I'm going to get the best out of the session. And I think we've got to be really careful about that, that our, um, we don't get compounded by all that additional workload. Um, it's a different type of busy and we have to cope with it in different ways i think
0: what about your kind of um how did you react personally when it you the kind of here we go lockdown lockdown two what's your lockdown journey been like
1: so lockdown so it's night and day from lockdown one to lockdown two so lockdown one was uh, a complete mess personally uh, work-wise you know fine you know we're very lucky that I, you know, i'm very lucky that i've managed to work all the way through the pandemic and um i think that's a saving grace and i kind of look at kind of silver linings and positivity through all this and, and one of the things was that i managed I, I could work full time you know there was no real impact on me in that way so took that but in in the sense that my whole persona and those that know me who will listen to this will kind of know i'm a very much a people person i like being around people and you know i spoke about this the last time we spoke martin on the first time i was on the podcast the, the the beauty of our industry is the people that work within it and losing that day-to-day conversation with people and being on site with people and looking at how they're engaging people and the culture that they're developing and those types of things is what really kind of gets me kind of flowing in terms of my creativity and and, and those types of things when that was taken away I kind of probably went into a bit of a dark place I was drinking heavily I was eating badly I was you know not looking after myself any way shape or form and when we came out of Lockdown at the end of that that first lockdown, I was 16 16 plus stone. I'm not even gonna. It, it, it makes me sick thinking about it. But I was in a real bad way, both mentally and physically. I wasn't I wasn't where I needed to be. And then when they hit lockdown two, so after lockdown, I said right, I need to do something, make some changes around how I kind of behave and how I look after myself. And started those changes. And then lockdown two happened, and there was always that risk that actually you revert back to how you were. Um, and no, it was more of I need to continue that. So I've probably got a bit um kind of committed on stuff. I've got a very you know what do you call it what's what's the what's the word uh, addictive personality. So I've become addicted to to eating better, healthier, going to the gym, looking after myself, and I've kind of made those changes maintained through the second lockdown for for whatever it is. And yeah, converted the garage into a gym going out for a walk every day, uh, early doors, those types of things, just making positive changes to to hopefully that when I am kind of sat in work and do what I need to do, I'm giving everything my best attention that I can. Well, you're looking super, super healthy, svelte-like. I know it's, it's weird. Nothing fits. It was it was there was the other thing as well, right? That triggered it. It came out of lockdown one, and I, you know, we had to start doing stuff. And I went to put on. I'd, I'd lived in elasticated pants for for kind of six months, uh, shorts and tracksuit bottoms. And I I went to put on a pair of jeans when we were allowed to go out again. I thought I we'll go we'll go out, and 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 it was like no. I, 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 I'm a true Yorkshireman. I was like, well, there's two things I can do here: I lose the weight or I buy new clothes. And I'm, you know, I'm a bit adverse to spending money, so I thought I'm not buying new stuff. So I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, just fit back into the stuff that I already own. The problem is I've gone too far the other way now, and all that stuff doesn't fit. In. It's too big. So you kind of, you can't
0: win. Luckily for everyone, this is just audio because Chris is naked at the moment.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it but again, you know, it's uh, it's one of the perks working from home, right? <laughs>
0: How much of this do you think is um, habit? Because me me and you shared, didn't we, we we had similar sort of experiences in that lockdown one, summer, um, of course, the thing is, I think people need to understand, you can talk about stuff whilst having the caveat above you that the pandemic is a global tragedy and you know, people have really, really suffered, and we're not making light of it, but we're just talking about our personal experiences. I feel like I have to say that sometimes. Yeah, 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 get some comments. Um, but lockdown one, I think like you, I've always, um, in this most recent role, from moving from being in a contact center permanently to traveling, being at events, being in London, being at our center in Exeter, was a lot of variety. But I was used to some of the week working at home, so it wasn't that much of a transition. And like you, I've been very lucky that I've continued to work. But for lockdown one, just got into bad habits. Um, it just felt like as soon as work finished, I'm not even a massive... I've never been a big beer drinker. Um, people that know me at university will laugh at that, but I moved <laughs> on. Um, but I just started getting into the habit of, with the, with the shop, buying bottles of beer and yep. just having every single night four or five big bottles of beer and it was only when we knew lockdown was ending that the like household recycling centers reopened I was I was there at the weekend and I was thinking I, I've been here nearly an hour just putting beer bottles in this bank non-stop it was like a one of those woodpeckers against a pencil just going.
1: <laughs> I, like I think it. that was it. We got. We. I think we just all had a bit of carte blanche to behave how we wanted to behave for, for whatever reason. And I, I'm not saying everybody went that way. And other people did other <laughs> stuff, right? You
0: know,
1: I think other people did other things to try and cope with the situation that we'd found ourselves in. But that was a big thing for me. Was, you know, drinking became really easy. Um, you know, just eating bad food became. And I think some of it was because we were. Uh, because of the restriction of you know being in a lockdown and 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 being in there you try to make things fun don't you You try to do stuff and you kind of go what can i do that makes it fun so you know actually you know having a drink and 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 eating bad food makes you feel better because you know and and those types of things that that's what i got into was just like what do i do to make myself feel better um you know kind of mentally struggle with all this stuff and you know we we talk around you know talk around the impact on mental health through the pandemic for for various you know people it's it's a massive challenge for us and how we come out of it is is going to be a big challenge for for us as an industry for sure um but personally it's a challenge how do you change your behavior now do you do you kind of not continue doing the negative stuff that you've done over the last few months and, and and through that and that's been the biggest shock for me was i kind of sat back and said look you know if you continue down this path you know you're going to get yourself into some serious pr- trouble you know um so you need to change and that's the trigger everyone has to find that trigger point for them to change your behavior and you know unfortunately some people will will come into this thing and and, and create a negative behaviour, I think that's what I did, I created a negative behaviour in myself there's lots of people and lots of examples of using the pandemic to trigger a positive change and a positive behaviour and that's great and we should kind of applaud that and celebrate the fact that people have done that, but you know the, the, the thing for me through all this is that everyone's on their own journey through this and we can support people and we have a responsibility and especially operationally and when I if I kind of link it back to where we work we you know we and how we work it's in our industry every one of our people are on their own journey yeah. um, and, and, and we've got to maintain that level of support and flexibility and, and understanding of, of of everyone's difference and everyone's own journey to make sure that we support them in the right way um and but we've got to let them make those changes themselves and they we can't force things upon people we we, we can never do that um what we can do is make sure we are in a position that allows us to understand and adapt and change and uh, you know all the things that we need to do to get them back on the right path
0: what um if you if you link that then to operationally and operate you know organizations are like like people me and you both had bad habits and something prompted us to move into healthy habits and now we're you know we're smashing it in the gym or whatever it may be in the second lockdown from an operational point of view what what, have, what have this period in your opinion taught us
1: I think yeah I've said this to you last week when we spoke, and, and I've said this a few times with the people at like this you know, always up for the positive and always look for the learning that comes from anything that happens to us. And, you know, disaster forces change in a lot of cases. And this has been a, our, our biggest challenge as an industry. Um, you know, it's been a big challenge for everybody. Don't get me wrong. But if I look at our industry, particularly, cause, you know, it's what we're talking about currently. This is an opportunity for us to learn about what can we do differently going forward um, and how do we change that? It's like anything anything it brings out two sides and it either brings out the best in people or the worst in people the, these types of situations and there has been some of that where you see operationally organizations that have done it badly or are coming out of the other end of it badly um, because they want to get back to normal as soon as possible is that like, well is that the right thing to do um, think about what we've achieved over the last few months and, and, and how can you learn from that to give yourself a a, a, a better operating platform going forward um, but then you've got other organizations that have really embraced this as a as an opportunity for them to to accelerate some of the things that they've probably put on the back burner uh, over the last few years so you know if i look at it, it objectively and say people that had a good work from home strategy before the pandemic got through this very very easily not saying it was easy but they could mobilize and get people ready and up you know, into a position where they were offering kind of business as usual service very, very quickly uh, at the point where we were told that we couldn't work in the office anymore. Organisations that didn't have that already in place typically struggled to get people up and running and doing it. But now that they've got them there and it's working. And they've got back into a service rhythm that is, you know, acceptable to customers and and those types of things. Why would you want to take a step back and why would you not kind of look to grow from there and, and, and kind of put some of these things in place? Similarly with processes and redesign and, you know, where organizations were just doing enough for things to happen and and, and organisations do it smoke and mirrors from a customer perspective everything's working well and it's working for them but actually you take away some of that fundamental stuff and that fundamental stuff might be the fact that I could speak to my colleague in the office next door and move something along in a process to a customer it seems seamless but organisation it was quite hard work to get those things to move together you take the office environment away and you distribute that workforce out and everyone's at home and all of a sudden they go, that process doesn't work anymore. So we need to fix that process. And those organisations were left behind a bit during the initial stage of the pandemic and you kind of go okay so now you need to learn from that why would you want to go back so let's make a permanent change to that a permanent change to your procurement processes for for things that would take weeks to authorize in the past you managed to get signed off within hours today so why can't we change that process and find a good balance now to, to make sure that's the way you operate going forward? I think, you know, there's there's learning to be had here for all of us. Um, and if we don't take the opportunity to do it, then we've kind of, we, we, we've kind of lost, we've lost something. And I think, you know, we've got to take some of the best things out of this real kind of difficult situation that we've all been in and, and kind of try and turn it into a positive way forward for the industry for sure. I think the other bit, Martin, that's really kind of got on my, it's upset me a little bit and it kind of, how we maintain through and through, and Martin Hill-Wilson mentioned it on an earlier podcast, you around kind of brand and and, and Emotive CX a little bit, and it it kind of plays into that a little bit, where you you look at some of the changes some organisations have made to policy, uh, to procedure, customer facing stuff, where you think, we're going to remember how we've been treated from a brand perspective as a customer. Mm -hmm. Now going forward, if my insurance policy has changed to actually to a negative state, so, you know, a lot of businesses have turned around and said, actually, how do we fix this or protect ourselves in the future? Well, We'll protect ourselves by actually saying, if anything like this happens again, we're not covering you. Yeah. You know, whether that's holiday companies, whether it's insurance companies, whatever. So actually, they've put the onus and the problem back in the customer's mind. What we don't think about is the impact on our operational people, because they'll know that's a real bad policy change. And they're the people that are going to have to deal with it. So not only are we going through a massive challenge personally, we then, from whoever in our organisation, decides that a change to the policy, which has a negative impact on our consumer, who has to deal with that? I can't accept the people have to deal with that. And they have to deal with the fallout of those decisions and they'll know it's wrong and they'll feel it to themselves that it's wrong because the customers and the humans and they go, you know what? So we have to find balance. How do we protect the brand? How do we protect our customers? And how do we get through this with, with making sure we don't alienate our people in the middle? Um, and, and, and that's the bit that we've, we've really got to learn. It's the uh, focus on people employee engagement those types of things that let's do things that don't make their life harder uh, and I think you know in some cases we've probably done that um, as we started to come out of this uh, pandemic.
0: That's a really good point because I, I genuinely hope I, I think one of the lessons I've seen is that companies are appreciating their employees as individuals because they've had to engage with them in their homes they've had to set them up in their homes and that that's kind of like broken, broken something, they've broken through some kind of um, distinction between work and home. You know, you, you've had to go in and be considerate to people's personal circumstances that you might not have had to know about in, in the past. So people becoming individuals or being treated as individuals as for, and the flex that that's meant for policies I really hope that that isn't that isn't changed and i i can, I always have to think like uh whether it's an agent or in where I am now an analyst you you can be poor companies can just lump you in as a group and consider you all the same, that you respond to the same motivation um rather than thinking how do I galvanize this group of individuals through esprit de corps but around a a vision recognizing that everyone is different um and I hope I really do hope that once this whether it's a hybrid or whether people have returned or once we don't have the kind of uh, the cloud hanging over us and we can just operate without fear um, that we haven't lost that individual consideration
1: and it goes back to that everyone's on their own journey. So everyone has their own challenges, their own fears and 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 those types of things going forward, their own challenges. So we can't go back to a way of, you know, a sheep dip approach in terms of this is the shift rotation that you are in. This is how it looks. This is how it feels. You can't, you know, in my mind, can't go back to that. I think there has to be that flexibility has to continue. And we've got to let people go at their own pace to a degree. Now, I get that operationally, we still need to protect our service calls and, and those types of things. But by and large, if you communicate well with your people, you know, and you've got some of that staffing right and you understand your, your demand and your capacity and, and, and those types of things, that actually just having communication and asking people what their preferences would be and, and how you can then support those preferences, you'll probably still find that you can deliver your service goals without having to force anything upon anybody without having to dictate when people kind of work and i think we've got used to a level of flexibility in our lives during this period and you know i've seen examples of this where you know, people can't commit to doing uh, a nine or five in the home, but they can commit to, to, to doing some maybe some back office work or processing work on an evening where you know some of their kind of pr- personal responsibility is being passed over to a partner, so they can sit and they can do some processing and they can be productive, and we can still get our value for money out of our employees, but we do it in a way that's kind of suitable to them, um, but still get the benefit from a business perspective. And I think we need to be able to have that conversation and be able to just understand how that looks and feels for each of our individuals and then once we've done that you know that's the first part then the second part then is okay so now we understand our individuals and we understand where that is does it leave us with any gaps question Um, and how does that change our operating model going forward I think what a lot of organisations do is they'll go, this is what our operating model needs to be, and then try to fit the other things underneath. And actually, your starting point's the people. And I think because of where we are now and because of what's happened this year, our people will truly, truly have a hard look at their employer to see how they've been treated with uh, or, or how they've been treated during this during this period and those that have been treated badly or haven't had that level of understanding and you know they haven't been protected or considered or 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 all those things they're the ones that once they can get to a point of walking away they'll walk away and 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 then we leave ourselves operationally at a greater risk so we owe it to ourselves to make sure we're understanding people and putting the, the the things in place that protects our protects our workforce um you know the other consideration i suppose on the back of that is if people do move into a more work from home strategy or hybrid model whatever that operating model ends up being for each organization we don't have to restrict ourselves anymore from a resourcing perspective so do i need to employ someone that lives five miles from the office anymore do i need to have people and and, and recruit from you know a, a, an area that's close to where the the operation sits can of broaden that horizon now and actually start to bring in better talent from other regions because i don't need them in the office i can get them productive and i can get them do what i need to do and i can offer them something that maybe another organization can't um but i don't necessarily have to have to restrict my recruitment pool um in terms of where it's going so all these things, organisations need to start thinking about. And then from our side, we just need to start thinking about how it impacts the industry going forward. I think this could be the, the biggest change our industry sees in my lifetime. Um, you know, I think it's it accelerated things that we've been talking about for years. And I've been doing this a long time now, Martin. And I remember going back and talking about cloud contact centres kind of five, six, seven years ago. And still having that same conversation about a cloud contact center six months ago. And now all of a sudden everyone's gone, actually, this move to cloud's not a bad idea. Um, wish we'd have done that before the pandemic hit. Um it, it, it's things like that where it'll just you know, people are gonna make that change and make that leap a lot quicker. And I think, you know, distributed work and being able to utilize it, a broader resource and, and 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 talent pool um across the across different regions gives us so much more flexibility and uh, ability to to do things differently so you know organizations need to think about that they need to think if if we don't move forward and we don't adapt to, to 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 what the future state looks like they're going to be left behind
0: when you think about um so in your role you'll cover different types of technology that have an impact or that are used within our industry you mentioned their kind of cloud What else have you seen in terms of um, some of the changes, or put it this way, when you look at twenty twenty one, maybe even maybe more relevant, the second half of twenty twenty one, what, how will people utilise technology different in our industry?
1: So, so I think the, the you know the standard technologies that are in place will maintain; they'll just become more used, but they'll have to be used differently. Things like where you know resource planning, WFM type technology will 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 always be uh, important and will always be instrumental. More so than before. Or? Yeah, I th- I th- depending on where we go. So I think understanding restrictions will be a key thing, and capacity is a key thing. So you know we talk around when we came out of lockdown the first time, one of the things that our customers were talking around was, well, I've got a challenge now that, because of the restrictions distancing and 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 uh, kind of uh, ingress and egress out of the building break capacity in, in in a kind of canteen i can only have a certain percentage of my workforce in the office at any one time and they've got to be staggered time so how do i schedule that how do i make sure i can get the right balance of people in the office and the right balance so i think those types of things have become really important for people to understand capacity constraints and, and what that looks like am i working from home am i working in the office is it a mixture of the two so i think wfm technology will need to adapt itself and, and become more mobile and, and those types of things to, to make sure the engagement's there the key things for me that i think we will see people really start to invest in and if they haven't already and you know good knowledge management systems organizations with good knowledge management systems were really quick to get up and running within uh, within the, the, the the first lockdown when because people had access to information really quickly they could answer questions you could multi-skill people really quickly so you know if you were in so for example if you were an in insurance business and you know all of a sudden at no point in your forecasting for 2020 and you do holiday insurance did you think that 100% of your customers are going to try and ring and claim on that insurance right yeah. no one would have forecasted that right but at the same time they probably wouldn't have forecast that new policy uh, conversations would drop but people with good knowledge management systems could say actually we need more of our resource dealing with this call we don't have the capacity to train everybody but you know what we've got a knowledge management system that says, if you get a call about this this is how you answer it so we actually could divert workforce really quickly deal with that demand really quickly and, and and kind of move that forward similarly any type of engagement or kind of performance management technology that allows you to do the value add activity remotely I think that's going to be critical as we move in. It, you know, if we decide to, as an industry, to to, to have more people working from home considerably, the, the 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 piece around making sure that communications going out to the people, access to performance, access to to kind of community knowledge and, and and conversation and engagement, all those things that you lose from not being sat next to a manager or not being sat next to your team every day. How do you keep people engaged? You know, I, I kind of, i made this joke a few times, but I wish I'd invest in Microsoft Teams or Zoom or something before the pandemic hit because you know, you'd be, you'd be rolling it now, but you kind of, it's those types of technologies that you need to start looking at and going, how do we make sure the right information is available to our people? How do we make sure that people are engaged around their performance? How do we make sure we still can coach and, and lead uh, from a management perspective? And those types of things will become really, really powerful for us. Um, and, that would know, that, be my kind, of, my kind of view as we move forward. I think you know, all the stuff that was already there that we've talked about analytics, technology, those types of things are still really important. And actually, being able to analyse that data, understand that data and understand impacts is, is probably more important than ever. Where do we need to divert our resource? How has our demand profile changed? What's the likelihood of our demand profile staying that way and, and over what period of time? And th- these types of technologies will become more and more important. And I think those organisations that have kind of been a bit of a laggard in moving forward—they're they're the ones that have struggled to get back to a to a BAU state, you know. And you know, I spoke to organisations that were up and running and and back into a BAU state within kind of a week, two weeks um, of, of the first lockdown, and some that are still in a state of just dealing with kind of that emergency or urgent contact or not and while that's happening they've got this backlog of work that's just growing and growing and growing that they're just going to struggle to clear and you know that's going to impact customer it's going to impact your people it's going to be a really negative space to get yourself out of at the end
0: I I guess their customers customers aren't going to give them much leeway in terms of you know what lockdown one I think everyone accepted and we're all customers aren't we but everyone accepted I might not be able to get a hold of people because they're they're scrambling to to set themselves up. If there's people still doing that now, their customers aren't going to be sympathetic to them.
1: And and, and if they're re, and if their answer to try to get out of this is by changing policies that negatively impact the customer, it makes things even worse. And that's what we're seeing. And I think you know it's all right. There's, there's a level of goodwill that we have, right? So. I, I still have loads of goodwill. I'm that kind of person, right? I, I will g- give people a chance because it's difficult for everybody. But collectively, that goodwill is going to get less and less. And, you know, that first the first wave of the pandemic, you kind of go, actually, you know what? Let's forgive. Let's forgive what's happened because everyone's in the same situation. The problem is, everyone's still in the same situation now, but organisations have either learnt from what's happened in the past or they haven't. And the ones that haven't learned from that yet or put more permanent solutions in place, they're the ones that are going to feel the pinch going forward. And, you know, I I think it's, I hate the phrase, the new normal, because I I just think it's awful. But what what my my point is that actually there's nothing normal and nothing new and nothing whatever. Actually, it's just the way you change your work. And if you're still holding or treading water, thinking it's all going to disappear soon. So as soon as it disappears, we can just get back to normal and, and carry on. They're the ones that are kidding themselves, you know. We are going through a significant change. Like I said probably the biggest change our industry's ever seen, and um, well, in my lifetime. And and if we don't do something about it now, you are going to be left so far behind that you you're going to struggle to catch catch back up. And you know they've got to start taking this seriously now. What does our future operating state look like? And start to make some of those decisions now before it's too late.
0: You mentioned earlier, and I know. I know central to you and how you operate is your kind of, like you mentioned it already today, around the importance of people. Pick your brains about something that's intrigued me. we've We've been lucky enough that we've still been recruiting, but we now have induction classes who have been recruited, inducted, trained, and are now live, all remote. They've not physically been in our office, physically met any of their teammates, managers, is if you think that that's widespread in the industry what does that mean do you think what are the implications of that going forward what are your thoughts on that
1: i think culture is a big thing so i think it's the, the challenge organization you know, the beauty of a lot of organizations is the culture they develop in terms of how they um um you know kind of bring their people up through the operation this is how we work this is how we operate this is how we um deal with our customers those types of things and again from a you know an office perspective i was finding it really unique and it it could be the same organization and you could go to three different sites now their overarching culture might be the same in terms of the vision and what they're trying to do but actually the people inside it and how that culture is interpreted and actually delivered against could be really different because of the region that you're in or you know the country that you're in or whatever it might be that's the biggest challenge that an organization that prides itself on its culture has to understand how their culture is now changing because those relationships aren't being built in the same way. Um, It's harder, I think. I think, uh, bear with me here. I think we all put on our work persona, right? So we were at home and I'm Chris at home. If I was me all the time, uh, my wife had divorced me years ago, right? So there has to be there has to be a balance, right? That there's the, the, and everyone does it. You kind of walk into work. Again, you said it before, a lot of people won't know your personal circumstances, you build a little bit of wall. on but you can make friendships, you can make connections, you can make colleagues, and you can do those types of things. And you can and, and you can and you can learn about each other too. And but you always have a level. Some people are more open than others, and, and, and kind of your bracket. As we move forward, I think it's harder and harder for people to separate life and work in terms of the personality that they portray i think it's harder now you know in terms of i've probably become more of the normal me when i'm working which has been a shock to some people i'm a bit more sweary in real life than i am in a professional life i've become a bit more sweary when i'm working and luckily we've we've, we've not slipped during this this conversation martin but you know I'm, i'm uh, you know, I'm a northerner, right? And you know, it's part and parcel of how we how we communicate. But I, I, those types of things are starting to sneak through, and I think that's going to be the challenge for any organisation when they're looking at culture and, and, and people is that we will probably get more honest versions of the people we employ and we just need to be aware of that and, and be aware that that's going to change some of the demographic of our business and, 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 and that kind of culture that we're trying to promote. We have to be really clear, I think, on what goals are and what our outcomes need to be and make sure we support people to deliver against them. But it's going to be a real challenge for people where they have this kind of cultural cultural kind of... Um, differentiator that says come and work for us because we've got these funky offices and we've got this you know funky break room and you get these sensory rooms where you can go in and chill out and all these great stuff that people have invested so heavily in over the last few years to make the workplace more engaged and the workplace more inviting how do you replicate that level of engagement when someone's sat in a bedroom or someone sat on the kitchen table and those types of things. What do you do? And and that's where people need to start being more creative now.
0: I think you're dead right. You're absolutely right. For me as well, it comes down to, it's based on, it's going to be based on interactions like this for the new people that have joined us, what their experience of our company is going to be like will be based on the existing team, the experienced team members that interact with them on a on a daily basis so you're right that kind of the culture isn't something that's on a wall or a uh, table tennis table or all of those nice things to help that have all been done with the right intentions it's not is it it's it's about people and the investment in people and making them yeah. better more emotionally intelligent and aware
1: and we have to invest in the right people at the right level as well and I think one of my biggest kind of Bugbear sometimes around our industry is that we, we we invest well in people, and you know I get that. But the, sometimes the forgotten role within all that is that team leader, team manager level of, of of individual. I think we forget about them. And you know I did some research on this a year or two ago, but it was we have as an industry the youngest population of people that are in that senior role and a team leader or a team manager the average age in the UK contact centre industry is it was either twenty or twenty one. Now that's a lot of responsibility on someone that's relatively young that have typically moved up through the ranks. And you know, when they were seventeen, eighteen, they were just an you know, they were an advisor on the phone and then they've moved up through through the ranks. And then as an industry, we've changed, we, you know, when we first, when I first got into this, you know, kind of, you look at future and past, and you kind of go, if I was held to account in the past on today's standards, I wouldn't have a job, right, mm-hmm. if I look back to my team manager days, right, because I think there's the, the, that bit, right, my management style probably wouldn't get me anywhere near a, near a door, and I, I, you know, I've developed and grown over time, but one of those things, but we were very much Managers of process and HR process. So, have you logged in on time? How long have you been in after call work? You know, how many absences you've had today? Three strikes and you're out. You were kind of managing these process and being a, a, a kind of not a dictator. That's the right wrong word, but it's you. you it was very dictatorial in terms of in, in terms of how you manage people. And then, kind of late 90s, early 2000s, and, and kind of there, there was that change towards a, cust- a, a coaching culture which was great. And I fully advocate that and and, and the development of people and whatever. But what we had was actually a load of managers that weren't used to doing that people stuff. They were just used to ticking boxes and going, you're not in work on time or, you know, your stats are right or whatever it might be. And then organisations that were good started to invest in those people to develop those skills and make them more kind of people managers as opposed to process managers. And I think we're at another shift in that, that now we've got all these coaches who we've taught to be uh, open and honest and, and supportive of our people and, and, and focus on development and those types of things, then all of a sudden we've gone, everyone's at home now. And you've got a group of 20, 21-year-old people that are going through exactly the same challenges as us, as, as, uh, you know, in, in terms of the restrictions they've got, that have got to try and remain positive, trying to engage their people, Trying to understand their personal circumstances, which some of them are going to be, you know, quite hard to kind of, um, you know, to 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 get your head around because you might not have had that experience in life or whatever it might be, and that we expect the, the, the same group of people then to become counselors and 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 supportive. and supportive. They're the people that we need to invest in. Those people that uh, are. Uh, looking after our operational teams are critical for any future state for your business. They have to be because they're the ones that are going to have the day-to-day conversations. They're the ones that are going to be the kind of voice of the culture they're trying to develop in, in this new world for them or this new operating process that's the focus the focus is that team leader team manager role of course that for me is the forgotten role in all this sometimes and you know we're asking them to do exactly the same as what we're asking the rest of our operation to do get home you know deal with your own personal circumstances but then also deal with those same challenges that your team of 12 or 10 or 15 or whatever that number might be are also bringing to you every day and you know that's that's where we have you know, we have to have focus on and it's uh, it's it's um, it's the only way we'll we'll, we'll we'll get this to work for me.
0: I think that's a, a really good point. I, just reflecting on what you were saying and thinking about our team, our clients' teams, the strata, if of you like, of an organisational hierarchy that's absolutely been the superstars throughout all of this has been the team leader um, population. Just how they've had to adapt. I mean, blows my blows my mind, and like you say, to try and to try and do what they've got to do, plus also be the fonts of knowledge and direct their team and all of the multitude of different tasks and plates that they're that they're spinning, and still dealing with their own stuff um, personally as well. Yeah, it's
1: motivating yeah. people when you when it's hard to motivate yourself is the worst thing in the world it, it is because it compounds any issue you have now it goes back to that persona p- piece of going right well, i need to be positive and i need to be motivational and i need to be supportive of my team but inside i'm i'm struggling you know and you're kind of going it, so we've got to make sure we're protecting those people as well we have to and you know because the, the, there's a breaking point point in everybody everybody has a breaking point some are more resilient than others and You know, the pandemic has shown that for sure. Um, But even the most resilient people I've found, myself included, have had some really dark moments over the last few months. I think everybody has. You know, I found myself crying at really stupid stuff. And you kind of think, where does that emotion come from? I'm not necessarily an emotional person. and But you kind of... I think everyone has become more emotional, they've become more, you know, more acute of their own mental health because we've had to, we've had to look after ourselves and we've got to maintain that as we move forward. I think, you know, that that protection of those people and, and understanding their own, so, you know, take that upper level to the operational leaders or the, the contact centre leaders or whoever it are that the team managers are responsible to. They need to make sure they're protecting their people as much as we're expecting them to protect the the, the advisors on the, on the front line.
0: You're right. And you made that point earlier around, as well as protection, it's about arming people with the skill set to be able yep. to um, go through a working day. And if you think about a team leader population, we do challenge people. There aren't many industries where at a young age or even if it's not age you're inexperienced to lead 15 i think the average span of control is but up yeah. to 20 um people in any organi- in any format out- outside of a contact center would be uh, you know further on down in your career let's yeah. say wouldn't it Agreed. and we just we just throw it upon people and we have lo- lots of team leaders now having to operate i keep thinking about this is think about when i was a team leader i i used non-verbal cues body language those kind of interactions i would like to say i was a good naturally gauge of how people were all of that would be taken away from me yeah. to some extent or a big extent and how to sense when people aren't feeling well and that kind of um People looking to you to help them through this period, this crisis, yeah. managing people's mental health, and you're doing it all remotely. I'm in awe of what I've seen. Yeah,
1: you know, we, we put a big onus don't we? In, in, in you know that kind of middle of the you know late '90s, 2000s, and kind of mid 2000s. You know, one of the big things was management by walking about, right? So, it's, yeah. so we, we we give everybody this skill to sign of kind of go out, understand the signs. You know, understand the body language, what's going on, is the frustration, heads in hands, those types of things, right? So you can walk around and you can just go, I think there's a problem there, I'm going to pull up a chair, have a chat. All of a sudden, we can't do any of that, so how do we virtually manage the floor? How do you do that now? How do you kind of make sure people, what is it? It goes back to your point, how do you make sure that regular communication's in place? Do you start to build that into people's schedules, you know, and say, you know what, actually bring back things like, you know, if you go back in in early days, we used to have, you know, the daily stand-ups and and, and 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 those types of things. But, you know, it might sound stupid, but why don't we do this now virtually? So, you know, before the shift, team leader get everybody i going, right, let's go on. What's going on? This is what my diary is like today. This is where I'm available. If you want to chat one-to-one, put some time in and we'll just do it. So none of this kind of forced coaching where you're doing something at the same time every week. You're going, this is my calendar. It is open these are the slots that are available to you. If you need time, just put it in and let's have a chat. And you can chat about anything you want. I don't care whether it's work-related, personal. You just want to talk about last night's footy result. Don't care, you know. Just make sure you're giving that kind of um, that open door virtually uh, and that availability for people so they can, you know, they can maximise that time.
0: Definitely. I think one of the, we do this thing where uh you've got to get everyone to buy into the 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 kind of not the rules but the scoring guideline if you like one to just one to ten where are you how are you on a mental health perspective ten being great never better one obviously not so good you know work terrible um that that's the first question where are you one to ten the second one is do you want to talk do you want to talk about it I think, you know, again, if you're, if you're leading 15 people, you want to be able to get a sense of where people are at. And like you say, gone are, the, gone are the clues. I can remember walking in once and one of the team was conducting calls lying on his back on the floor, you know, and you don't need to be a genius to go, I'm
1: not Joe. <laughs> Come on, let's, let's go have a chat. Um, but but it's that thing you know if we're going to do that goes back to that point protect the team leader and team manager population to give them the time to do that so don't bombard them or put them under pressure to deliver against other things so what is actually important in their role the most important thing in their role for me is looking after their people that has to be the primary concern now work stuff that sits around it let's have a look and see what we can take away to give them that time to be able to support their people. So don't give them the distraction. Don't give them, you know, too much that stops them spending that value added time with their, with their people. Um, and that like I say, don't put structure around it. Just let people talk about what they want. I think, you know, more so than ever, talking will get us through whatever's being thrown at us at the minute. You know, we, we need to get stuff off our chest. And especially if you're confined to your house, you know, if you think about meaningful conversations that I've had, 99% of them have been with my wife uh, and, and, and probably 1% of them have been with my daughter um, outside of the conversations I have at work. But when I'm having a work conversation, there's typically a reason for that work conversation, right? It's not about general chit-chat. And that was the hard thing, to that first first lockdown. The next time was actually now we need to start making sure we're doing regular conversations that are about just nothing. I don't even, you know, just talk about anything. It doesn't matter how mundane it is or, or whatever it is. You just need to get that stuff off your chest um, because, you know, you've got your own, like I say, personal balances. And-
0: Gearheads know that some projects need so many parts, it feels like you need a whole storage unit just to store them. That's what eBay Motors' 122 million parts are for. Think of it as your virtual parts garage. They've always got the right fitment at the right prices. Use the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride.
1: My wife doesn't want to hear me moaning all the time. You know, she doesn't want that. Someone else has to take that responsibility. She so we, to we fast need to yeah. <laughs> um, We're
0: stuck for time. But what I'm thinking, we still haven't really gone through some of the stuff that... Um, mean, you've talked about outside of this. If it was too long from appearance one to appearance two, let's call this part one. And if you're, yep. me and you, let's organise something for next week. Yeah. Um, and carry this conversation on. Um, so this, this isn't the end. So I don't even need to say goodbye or anything. So we'll, go and have a cup of tea. When you then carry on listening, this will have been a week later. You can get your head around that. <laughs>
1: Oh no, we've had a coffee, right? And Then we've come back.
0: <laughs> we've done something. Um, <laughs> we, we're doing it. I feel like we can do it a bit differently with the, with you because um, this is more like Joe Rogan. Well, I'm not going to say we're, I'm anything like Joe Rogan other than lack of hair, but his, his are kind of his podcasts are a good couple of hours long, and they go wherever they yeah they fancy, don't they?
1: Yeah, yeah I like I like I like listening to the Rogan podcast a a bit. So we were just saying then about, we've talked,
0: we've talked more about the industry, but um, we're, you know, we're human beings and we're, we're friends and we've had, we have chats that are kind of, we don't record, but actually we're just going to record them and and see, see what happens. See what Um, happens. Yeah. And we, um, we both sort of talked about together the the differences in, in Mm -hmm. lockdowns and what, what we think it's happening. We've, we've both got children and the impact there. Where, where's your head at on that?
1: Um, I, I, you know, my overarching view is one of fear, I think. And fear in a way that, saying I'm fearful for missing something in terms of we've had to cope with lots of stuff personally um, and, and everyone's been different, you know, but it's impacted everybody in some way, shape or form, which is unheard of, I think, in my lifetime anyway, and probably in multiple generations, you know, that there's been an event that's impacted everybody in some way, but impacted certain elements of life that you don't know if you'll ever get back to a point where, or what your potential could have been without missing out that gap, you know. I think it's just a big gap uh, in everybody's life, especially that first lockdown, Um, you know, we've talked before about school being one of my big challenges is understanding um you know what the impact of that part of school life that my daughter missed for you know she was just on that journey into year 7 she she'd only just started getting into a routine it's a big transition from primary school up into into secondary school just getting comfortable just getting into a routine and that just gets pulled away from her uh, and we didn't have the luxury of, of, of time in the sense to spend time with her from a teaching capacity. And I know a lot of people did and, and, and everyone was trying to struggle that balance of work and, uh, and and home life. But both me and my wife have worked full time throughout the full pan- pandemic. And for all that, we've had a level of flexibility with our employers to be able to kind of support some of the challenges we had at home. We couldn't dedicate, you know, five, six hours a day to to Amy's education alongside having to deliver our our work objectives. So that becomes really tricky. And I just worry now as she's gone back into school in September and um, some of the disruption that's happening around that and just the way the whole school system's working in her school where it's bubbled, so she's not getting the same level of interaction that she had and they're trying to get caught up on curriculum work. And I just find that she's really struggling now. Um, in terms of a her motivation but b her ability to absorb the knowledge and utilize it in a way that's going uh, to be beneficial it's the first time i've ever been worried about her from a schooling perspective she's always taken to it quite well and I'm not saying she's the you know the, the smartest kid in school but she's always applied herself in a way that means she does enough to, to kind of carry the knowledge and, and do well in tests and, and all those types of things and that's not happening at the minute it's a struggle and I just think that's my you know one of the biggest worries i have about what does what's the long-term impact of this year for for all of us really because there'll be other the other examples of that in in other people's lives around what that gap has, has caused them um you know i think it's the it's the coming out of the other end of it how does that actually uh, make itself uh, uh make itself known really i think that's where we're going to start seeing you know we talk around second waves and those types sort of things. I think the, the biggest challenge for us now is dealing with the, um, the fallout of this for the younger generation, but for those others that have struggled, whether they've, they've lost work through this, they've, they've financially been burdened by, by certain elements. And that's where now the biggest fear for me is, is that we have created, um, created a society of, of people that uh, are struggling and, and are going to struggle for a number of years. And how do we make sure we kind of protect those people in, in some way, shape or form?
0: It's Interesting, isn't it? Because through my, uh, our blended family, I have, we've got five children all through different ages. So I've got my eldest daughter completing the final year of uni. And that's just been a crazy, crazy time. My son um, was one of the ones caught up in the A-levels where, they got predicted he wasn't able to sit his exams. Yeah. Um, he was He was pleased because he'd done a lot of his coursework and all the mocks and things were really good. But friends of his that had been hoping to turn it around at the exams because they hadn't done so well up to that point, <clears throat> suffered. And then the three girls are kind of 12, 11, you know, 12, 14, um, like you, having to kind of see, oh, look, <laughs> delivery
1: That's <laughs> <Hang on. laughs> it that what happens it's just what happens now
0: This is pavlovian conditioning
1: This is the new normal
0: Oh it's not even for me
1: That is always the worst it is it is never yeah. for you It's not uh, for me mate Sorry all the time. It's only, it's only my wife, body shop, orders. And Sorry benefits. everyone
0: was listening. I can't even tell you what it is. Um, yeah, so they're all at different ages. They're all kind of in different years. And um, Harmony, the youngest, missed out on the end of primary school celebration and has moved into senior school during all of this. And you think about what they've missed out, even Taylor missing out on doing the A-level exams and having that experience. But they've been, I mean, I don't I'm sure it's the same with your daughter. The kids are just they've had some wobbles, yeah, but they're so adaptable, they're so resilient. And yeah. part of me is thinking, This is like you say, it's it's an event we're all going through everyone. There's no one that's immune to this. Such a massively disruptive event for all of society just kind of makes you hope that going forward, we will question the validity of some of our processes and some of the things that are in place. So we'll start thinking more. So if it comes to thinking about schooling and education and how do you assess people's exam results and what that means, that we'll actually have to think harder, apply more effort to give people a fair shout rather than just relying on processes where you don't have to think. I don't know, I'm hoping... I'm trying to be optimistic um, because it's, don't get me wrong, it's easy to be optimistic where, like you, I've worked all the way through the pandemic. Yeah. I can't imagine no. what I get to see through friends and contacts on LinkedIn the struggles of not being able to work yeah. or even for people that were furloughed where they said initially it was kind of like, oh, great, this is brilliant. It's summer. Um, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z and happy days. And then, the fear starts creeping in, which yeah. is, hang on, should I be job hunting because I don't know if I'm going to have a yeah. a job to go back to?" So it's, it's all just up in the air, isn't
1: it? It is, and that, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, you kind of look at it, and go, "What?" You, you try. And we, I talk this industry wise, and you start talking to companies around, "What's your future plan?" and "What are you trying to do?" And with, you know, you're trying to move people on in their thinking, so they've got something to to plan for or get ready for, prepare. But you're right course everything is still relatively unknown you know there's the announcement of the vaccine now and things, but you still don't know what that means to us as a society and how that's going to make us um, get back to a way of life that we're more familiar with and, and, and so decision making becomes really difficult in every walk of life doesn't it so it's like do I book a holiday for next year you know something that you would do on instinct right and you just go you know what next year there's me somewhere. Let's get something booked in. Let's get away, enjoy ourselves. You're now second guessing yourself all the time and going, well, do I do, I do that? Is it worth the risk? Because the industry's changed and I'm not as protected as I was before the, the pandemic. And things are, like you, just, you just can't do anything now on that spur of a moment. We've, we've lost the ability to be um, spontaneous. Yeah, and 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 that is, you know, a big part of my life. I'm a very spontaneous person. I wake up one morning and go, ah, oh, you know, let's do this and let's go do something. And you've kind of you can't do that anymore. So you just think to yourself, you you start to feel really restricted in in what you can do, and really kind of just yeah, tied tied into this kind of bubble of, well, I can't do anything, so I'm not gonna. Uh, and you get into a different type of routine, and that different right type of routine becomes a bit more hard to maintain. I think um, because it plays on your mind a lot more than than what it used to do. I can't do something. It's a very can't-driven routine, as opposed to I can do this. I can go and do that. I will go do this, and those. You just yeah. I find it hard to get into a into a positive routine. At the
0: minute. Even after, I mean. You must have felt. Was it Wednesday, like vaccine day? It was announced, wasn't it? It's all we're we're ready to go. I mean, and yeah. straight away, that just felt like yes.
1: It did. It did. Right, but I, it did, and I and I get that, and I I, I am will I'll be first in the line as soon as yeah. I'm probably really down the bottom of the list, like to be fair, which is fine. I'm I'm I'm, I'm quite happy with that, but. You still think to yourself, I, I, I don't know, there's still a level of tentativeness around what does it actually mean, at what point, you know, I know that they're the putting out dates and you just think Easter next year. But then you see someone else's opinion that it'll be potentially the start of summer, May, June time. and You just start thinking to yourself, this is what's been the problem all the way through this is that the the different levels of information we get from the data that's available to us just creates a level of confusion and I think some people will be really up for it and go yeah we're gonna you know this is the start of something and be positive and I get that and I'm I'm, fully behind those people but we've had so many false starts since kind of February March that I just I, I just I'm still sitting there going no, I believe it when I see it type of mentality you know I've got I've got cynical through this whole thing I never used to be a cynical person but I, I feel like I've become a lot more cynical than, than I ever have been um, because i 'm just not confident in the people that are delivering the messages anymore,
0: yeah, well no i get I get that um, I, but like we were catching up, weren't we just before hitting record? I had a a morning visit an unexpected morning visitor. I got a whatsapp in the family group. My sister said there's a gift on your doorstep. She lives about an hour away from us, and she dropped by she 's a paramedic, but she's been seconded to. Uh, the vaccine distribution team and she was on her way to the first sort of planning meeting and it was such a great way to like start the day I was like yes my sister you're doing it you're a superhero and um she was like yeah so they they've got the I said it was only like I stuck my head through a window to like say hello and stuff and she um she said that they're planning for the vaccines being ready to distribute this coming week to the very first kind of priority people in healthcare and and stuff like that, and they're using they're starting as a starting point using the flu distribution model, right. but wanting to accelerate it. And the first part of the plan um, is up to from now until May, just getting it getting out of there. We didn't have time to like, ask a ask her anything else so I think I'm still on a little bit of a just seeing it seeing some sort of practical
1: embodiment
0: of just going out and 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 doing it you know and um one thing is for certain over the last year we've suddenly become well some of us more aware of Things that perhaps we didn't think about in the past, like politics and
1: science, and and and, and sometimes it's it's yeah, I think so. I you know I've I've spent years, but for a few different reasons. So you had you know we think about what we've gone through over the last few years within, you know within within the UK specifically. We had the Brexit, the general election, we then had the the, the pandemic coming through. Brexit's now coming back to a far because that ends in a. What three weeks um, before we're out? Um, so all these things are going on. And I think because no one's got anything else to do this year, right? But, but, you know, people have taken. But oh, let's actually read some stuff and have a look at it and 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 start to try and understand it. And that can it's a positive thing in the main, but does drive some negative behaviour. And we've all seen some of that. I think you know, we, none of us are, are kind of blind to the fact that. The opinions of people have been very challenging for others. I think there has been a lot of uh, toxicity and and, and 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 anger, um, uh, social media level, which I kind of try to stay away from. I just post stuff that makes me laugh now. I try to find the the, the humor in everything. Uh, it sometimes gets me in trouble, but um, <laughs> you know, but it's you know one of those things. Going, I just can't listen to that level of. You know, toxic, toxicity—it just, it just gets on my nerves to a point where I'll, I'll kind of try and just back away from it. But we have, and I, you know, and then we had the U.S. election. I thought that was quite interesting. It was quite funny because I've spent years trying to get my wife interested in uh, in British politics and kind of get her into that and talk around these things and and, and let, let, make informed decisions. She spent all week watching CNN, and I'm thinking you've never showed this level of interest in anything. <laughs> But, but she's there. We see shouting out to me. Oh, he's taken this state, or he's taken that. <laughs> I was like, brilliant. Right. But you know, th- these things, I think, because and I think it is because we've had very little else to focus on. We start to focus on things that allow us to be more informed, um, and 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 I see that as a really positive thing. You know, it might the kind of output of that might be negative in, in some quarters, but. I think the debate's good, um, as long as that debate remains civil, and yeah. uh, you know, and, and and that's where I think that the line's been a struggle this year for for a lot of people is remaining civil, and 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 that's just because we're in a different mentality, I think, because we've got the additional stress of everything else that's going on. We the outlet for that is through our opinion, and sometimes that opinion will jar others. So they'll have an alternative opinion, and we've lost the ability, I think, to to just actually just agree, disagree sometimes, and just go All right, yeah. You know, I respect your opinion, but you know, you're never going to change my mind, and I'm not going to change your mind. So why are we be really arguing about it? You know, it's yeah, you know, just just respect the fact that we've got a different view. You know,
0: I absolutely yeah, hundred percent agree. Albeit, it comes back to one of your the, the original thing that you're talking about is it's education, 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 because I think it's okay when people are disagreeing, if one side is 100% factually yeah. wrong, to say that is wrong. Yeah. I think where we've, where unfortunately and hopefully this this disruptive event and fingers crossed, Trump goes and we we can re, we can start learning the lessons of the last four years, but and that being to have debate and that people do feel disenfranchised and have seized upon Trump and Brexit and other things to kind of voice voice their disgust or being feeling like the system has left them behind. And there's real validity and merit in that. But where I think it's got really dangerous is to say, you know, Dave on Facebook, who used to buy acid from a guy down the pub who had one eye, <sighs> is challenging scientists' view of whether vaccines are safe.
1: Yeah. Uh, know,
0: because I... that, you know, you can say, no, that you, you are wrong. And it's okay to, where I think we've lost the ability is, my opinion is as good as yours. Yeah, it is an opinion. But when it yeah. comes to what is correct and what isn't, and what yeah. is dangerous and what isn't, yeah. you should be able to say someone is wrong. And yeah. for us to go, okay, fine, I hear you, but if you can't accept your wrong and change, we're just going to ignore you and carry on and do the right thing.
1: That's a bit, I think sometimes it's that, it's that thing of going, just recognising that the person you're speaking to is just wrong. Yeah. And and But when they're just wrong, Yeah. call them out on being wrong. But what tends to happen is the, the, the other person then begins to try and educate, and, you know, sometimes there's people that just can't be educated, and that's then when the friction starts, issue starts and people start becoming personal and things. Like that I think there is a line that you need to draw sometimes when, yep, call them out, they're wrong and they're talking absolute rubbish. But then just walk away.
0: Because yeah.
1: They're just going to keep coming at you with their, their you know, their, they're rubbish that they don't know anything about and they're never going to stop. So just don't walk away from it because it becomes really toxic really quickly.
0: I like the, the word you used there is debate. And I think that's something that we've, would be great to see more of because very rarely do people change their minds. But some of that is because of the manner in which that we interact with each other. Yeah. Like you say, you only need to look at Facebook. That That's all that's, Twitter or wherever. That's never a debate it's just insult hurling from one side to the other and it's just sad to see
1: and it's easy to do right so it's easy to be a get out i always say if i'm having a debate with you martin in any setting if there is a difference of opinion at no point would i then resort to an insult
0: yeah
1: i i wouldn't that's just even if we were talking
0: leeds and tottenham
1: yeah even even more so because you know it goes back to my opinion's always right when it comes to lead, so it's fine um, but, yeah, top. <laughs> exactly so but you wouldn't you wouldn't you know there these some people in society that would take over that life the same people that i know wouldn't do that in a face-to-face environment find it very easy to just throw an insult out when you're when you're in a social media setting and that then i think is the is the flame, you know that inflames um, a different reaction from people and we just need to be careful around all that and you know as we go through this i you know i saw a great debate and i think the problem we've got is that there's such a level of confusion around everything that's happened this year and, and different opinions. But those a lot of those opinions are based on science or facts, but everyone's just interpreting in a different way. I remember having, it was probably mid-lockdown mid one, there was a debate on uh, Sky News, and they had uh, four or five, it was five different uh, scientists in different fields around kind of virus control and protection, all discussing the same data sets but all having a completely different opinion on how to deal with it. And you're thinking, these are people that are all educated to a similar level. They're all working in the same field. They're all using the same data to, to decide on what the plan should be to tackle it. And they we're all coming up with different solutions. And that, for me, is what's driven a lot of the confusion and, and is the risk for us all, where we lose a bit of faith in what's happening. Because you see these different approaches being taken. And... In, in 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 their mind as the people that are leading on those approaches the right thing to do based on the advice that they're getting from the people that are educated to understand that data it, and and deliver a plan against it and you know that for me was a really interesting thing to watch because you you could i started to have a sense of understanding then around how as a as a nation Ours potentially as a, as a group of nations within the United Kingdom, as a as a as a as a global kind of um, entity, started to go. You can start to understand why everyone's doing something slightly different, because the people that we are relying on to deliver the solution are all having a different view of what that data is telling them and how to to, to best respond to it. And that you know that for me was my eye opening moment. Was yeah. watching that and going, I get that. You know, and, and, I, and I kind of start to understand why there's so much difference and who knows who's right, wrong or not, you know.
0: Well, time, some, time, will, time will
1: tell. Yeah, Because it's we're
0: dealing with an unknown, aren't we? I guess yeah. for me, it's kind of when you hear people and for those that know me, they will know I am the absolute opposite end of being a, a Tory. Um, I'd say I'm close to being a socialist, but recently just hearing... Um, someone like John Major talking about, I think he was talking about Brexit, it just made me think, I wish, it made me hark back for wanting that people that have fundamental differences of how government and society should treat those that need help or, um, you know, public services, people have had fundamental differences between Conservatives and Labour but they haven't resorted to not engaging in any kind of conversation or cross-party working together. At the moment, it is just, and I think this is where politicians need to take a long, hard look at themselves from both sides, because we as a public have sent several messages that we don't like how they conduct themselves, yet, especially the government right now, they're not they're not engaged, this is, they're not, they should be the role models yes. of how to discourse, how to deal with tricky situations in a civilised, intelligent, respectful way. But it's not, it's ignore facts, shout at each other, it's pathetic.
1: And that's the thing for me, right? It's like, there is this, you know, if, I, if, if I, Brexit's a good example, right? Because if you even think about when Brexit started, this wasn't about party politics, so there were people on both sides of the fence from every political party. So, there were, you know, there was people campaigning for Brexit, whether they were Labour, Conservative, UKIP, whatever. And then there was ones that were campa- campaigning against it from all the parties as well. So was, it wasn't about party politics. It was just about a state of mind. As soon as that referendum happened, it then became about party politics, where... You know, the Conservative Party had to push the Brexit, you know, the the, had to push Brexit through because they were the government in charge, and then Labour had to have an opposite stance. But that wasn't the case at the start of the whole pitch. So why didn't we continue that you said that collaborative working and saying, All right, so we've this is a decision as a nation we've made, let's have representatives from the part you know from all the different parties to look at the plan and how we move that forward and and actually let the Tories, as it were, run the country and do the stuff that we needed to focus on. Because we lost a lot of focus, I think, in, 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 as a nation, on on some of the other stuff because Brexit became the all-seeing and all-being thing that it was for a number of years. And so I think there was a bit of that. And then, but then it's the same with the pandemic. The pandemic isn't; it, it's not a political exactly. situation. But it's become a political situation where you've got, you know, you've got the Tory Party saying these are the restrictions, and by default, then Labour have to oppose that, or not oppose it, but it becomes all right. So, you know, Conservative Party is saying this, and Boris is saying this, or Nicola Sturgeon saying what she's saying, and there's there's differences there, and everyone's kind of it, it's a, it becomes a political bunfight again. It's going you're not playing now. You know, this is real life. This is real situations. There are people dying. There is people. Being put into poverty there is people really struggling suicide rates are increasing yeah. you know all these things that are a direct impact of a situation that no none of us thought was going to come that's bigger than anything it's bigger than any political bun fighting it's bigger yeah. than any of those that point scoring it has to be now about the people and because I said this at the the, the, the beginning, the second part of our chat, the problem we've got now, the fear I have is how do we recover from this? I'm not on about economically because that's just going to be what it is. And, you know, we'll we'll get through that in whatever way as an economy, we will grow back again. I'm I'm convinced by that because we're a good nation and, you know, all, all those things. What we won't be able to recover is the impact on people mentally, the impact on our children, and their education, the impact on unemployment and industries that have been completely decimated. Those things are the things that are now important and those are the things that the politicians need to focus on collectively to make it right and, and, and yeah. make sure we're protecting ourselves. And thats I don't see any of that. No, um, that's the
0: thing. They're, they're not showing role model behavior where to address the things you've mentioned that you inherently is about kindness and treating people decently you know and be and and like you say I think we should we should require more of our leaders than than we currently currently do but now is not the time to to do that we kind of we're still in the crisis, aren't we? We've yeah. got to get, we've got to get through it, and then then we can reflect on the best way forward and hold people accountable rightly for yeah. for the mistakes that have been made or for um, the cronyism that you can see. I mean, you know, people
1: are profit, profiteering out of this.
0: Yeah. That is disgusting. So yeah,
1: it's, you know, it's like you know, you look at it. You know, I said this before that where there's where there's disaster, there's opportunity now for me personally that opportunity is an opportunity to learn it's an opportunity to try and just engage again with my family you know I've spent nearly 10 years of, 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 of living out of a suitcase we work and, and, and packing things up and being able to spend this amount of time with my family has been a blessing right it's you know every cloud and, and all those things that, you know and, and, and that's been great and but you're right there is people out there that are seeing this as an opportunity to 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 capitalize on other people's misfortune and that for me isn't the way as a society we should be acting in this this you know in, in in this in these times it's just it's awful to see sometimes and you just look back and go what have we done what can we do and all i can do is 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 just contribute the best way i feel you know and and, and do the things that i can do to you know, make sure everything I do, my family do, is is with a positive mindset to help people that we can help if we can help, and support people. And you know, that's all I can do. It's all we can do as, as a unit is to to try and behave in that way where we're using this as an opportunity to better ourselves rather than an opportunity to to um, capitalize on other people.
0: And I think it's about being it's about being proactive. That there, there isn't any action that's too small not to have a an impact. So if you can be kind, if you can do something, it doesn't matter how small it is, and if you can challenge as well. So I'll give you an example. Um, you know the free school meals campaign by Marcus Rashford. The impact you know a young man can have. Yeah, fine. He has a wide audience because um, he's a very talented um, footballer and we, we love footballers in our society. Nonetheless, what he did and the reaction to it was, on the whole, amazing, but also fascinating. And to your point about party politics, when the government voted against extending it, you know, when fundamentally it came down to the question of do you want to feed? Disadvantaged children, and you had some Tory MPs like Ben Bradley and some of the things that he said um, come out. I um, wrote or emailed to um, my local MP who voted against the program just to ask. Didn't i you know? It was just a very it was very respectful email, just asking. Please, can you explain your rationale? For for voting against this um, this measure, and um, he hasn't replied yet. <laughs> yeah, actually, but I but I also asked. I've also asked him about um, his voting record on climate change as well, and have received a reply yep. because I think it's important that politicians know that towing the party line. Doesn't represent necessarily their constituents' views, no. and that in a small way. Because I got questioned um, from friends and family about well, why are you even bothering? They don't care. They're going to vote along talk, uh, party lines, and they don't care about your opinion. I think they do, and I think if we if we don't if we do nothing, if we don't say actually I didn't you don't represent me in how you voted on this particular. Um,
1: Thing. there's got to be a level of account there and i think you know there's, there's two bits to me i think there's a bit that says there's a bit of peer pressure um in terms of the leadership probably within within the different political parties um which is commonplace i think in a, in, a, in a lot of organizations and industries you know there's a there's a there's a level of sheep mentality to some things in terms of decision making, because people don't want to challenge, because that becomes then the second point, which becomes around self-preservation, and and I think there's a bit of that. The the worry for me is the complete ability to misread the um, the, the the sense of the nation in every respect, and there's been a few a few examples of this over the course of of, of this year, where there's just a clear misinterpretation of how the nation is actually feeling um yeah. and and and, and, you, and you kind of see the decisions being made and you think you cannot have asked anybody no you, you can't have gone out and asked anybody within your constituency your your your, your public you can't have asked them because anybody would tell you that's not a good idea yeah you know yeah. read the room you know, we talk about this. In you know, in my line of work, you go in and go, read the room, right? Read the room. You know, you know when you can you can sell hard. You know when you can have to take a step back, right? Read the room. And, and there's been none of that. There seems to have been absolutely none of that uh, throughout this whole, whole, whole situation. I started doing it. Uh, the kind of thing on the back of the, 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 the five o'clock briefings when they were happening every day and that became a real kind of source of focus for everybody. Quite interesting, wasn't it? everybody just getting up and going, yeah. hey, five o'clock's here, let's listen to what they've got to say today. Whichever variation of the boy band came out, it didn't matter, <laughs> right? It was, uh, it, it, was, it was there, right? And, and people kind of started to focus on this kind of five o'clock thing and you would sit at the end of these and go, you've not read the room yet. Yeah. You start to yourself, why, 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 why? You yeah. just you kept asking that, you know, kind of thing there. And it, it was just strange to see. Well, they didn't put
0: pretty Patel back out again, did they?
1: Well, well you know, because she completely misread the situation, didn't she? And you just yeah. kind of think to yourself, what are you doing? Um, you do it, you know, at a, at a point where, and it started off relatively well, I think. I think yeah. there was, a, you know, yeah, in terms of those first few weeks, the things that, you know, in a in, in, way... Credit, credit where credit's due, right? I think there's a bit that says that that first wave of pandemic, yeah. you know, when, when Rishi Sunak stood up and said, This is what we're going to do. And, and I think, you know, whether whether the solutions and the things that he put in place bear out to be the right decisions, that's by the by. I think the fact that he stood up early enough within that to go, Look, this is what we're going to do, this is what we try and do, this is our commitment, this, whatever. And I think. There was a sense of right. Okay, we don't know what's going on, so we're just gonna to have to accept some of this. And there was a level of um goodwill from a nation. Yeah. We didn't know what's going on, so there's goodwill. Yeah. And, and, I, and so, credit where you, I think the early days of it were there. The deeper we got into the mire, the cracks start, and the cracks came quite quickly um, because people were starting to get panicky people were starting to feel restricted, people were starting to, you know, and that, that you know, that national wave of kind of spirit and things that was each slowly chipping away, you know, and, you you know, if you, I, I, I think that, the, you know, my view, that the tipping point was when, you know, it got to mid-June, early, you know, mid-June, I think, we all kind of had done enough by then.
0: You was know, that the, which was the one where the guy from Little Britain did go out, don't go out?
1: Yeah, the it, was, well, it, it was, the, it, I think it was roughly around when the change, because I think the, the, the first bit was very easy on it, you know what I mean? It was very, protect the NHS, save lives, stay inside, don't go outside, protect the NHS, say i very clear, very positive message. We're, we're protecting people, we're protecting the resources that we need. Brilliant. And then it all started to get a little bit wishy-washy. Yeah. When it started to become a little bit wishy-washy, everybody was like, I've got no idea what's going on now.
0: And then, at the same time as that happening, just after, you've then got people like Dominic Cummings doing what he did. Yeah, the
1: ridiculous. moment that
0: kind of thing happens, you're dead right. Because actually, I totally agree. It was well needed. It, it showed leadership. It was kind of reassuring. And actually, coming together... We, I mentioned this the other day to um, Bev, actually there's so many channels and ways to watch tv now you don't often feel like you're connected and watching events at the same time very often unless it's a big sporting event olympics or football or whatever um and the the briefings i think did do that people were watching because we needed to and yeah. we felt connected and there was a there was determination and goodwill and But that level of scrutiny, you know, it needs to be backed up with competency and plans and being all over it. And I think that's where people have started to go. We don't want catchphrases and, Yeah. yeah, you're entertaining and you're a bit bumbling. And we like that as British people. We like eccentricity. But right now, you know what? Just do your job.
1: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so that's a bit, it, it, again, it goes back to that point, doesn't it? Of going, you know, what is the mood of the nation? And and again, goodwill at the start, but when it started getting, you know, and I think even all of us at the start, when they said we're going to a national lockdown, it'd be a couple of weeks, and everyone was like, oh, you know what, two weeks, two weeks, brilliant, I can just sit in the house, I don't have to travel for two weeks, we yeah. rush our way, you know, we kind of had this wave of just, it's only a couple of weeks, we can get through that. Uh, and then it went on, and it went on, and it went on. But their approach didn't seem to change, and the the mood from the, the 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 briefings didn't seem to change. And then it became really argumentative. So when they were starting to get challenged by the the journalists, challenged by the public in some cases, although you know they, clearly um, sifting through the questions to do ones that they could you know give some kind of response to. But you know start that's when for me it became. Not heads in sand territory, but very much became um, this is what we're doing. So tough, it, you know. It, it, it kind of changed from where he to support you to you're going to do as you're told.
0: Yeah, I have to admit, I think too often the journalists didn't do us or the whole situation any favors with their questions. Their questions were too argumentative, rather than opportunities to clarify information. Yeah opportunities to find out more without it being that they, they they weren't talking for us i didn't feel then it was just how do i annoy this person how do i try and generate a headline i found some of the questions bizarre um yeah when I, you I, find I, that with people within the government not following their own rules yeah the moment that happened, uh, it yep. was like, okay, well, now you expect people to follow rules that have got a bit wishy washy. Yeah, to get it.
1: Yeah, and, that, and I think that was it. That was, you know, as soon as we changed that that approach, and and, and it was, it just, yeah, wishy washy. You know, that's the thing. Wishy washy people are just going to go out and do it. Lose confidence, you lose trust, you lose all those things, and you just go, you know what, we're going to get on with life. Um And the other thing for me was that, you know, we we kind of there was a level of expectation that we would go back into some kind of second, you know, and and again, this was mentioned early on that there would be potentially this peak winter virus. So, you know, that's what they said to us. I remember that really early on saying there's going to be a winter virus. There's a winter peak because it, 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 you know, lives better in the cold and and, and those types of things. So when it happened, they were like going, Oh, this wasn't about people. This was about the natural, kind of life cycle of the virus for me because that's what they told us early on at the very start they went to us as, it, as the warm weather comes in we'll naturally see it decrease because it's a cold war virus in the main so we'll see that natural decrease but we'll likely see you know as we get into the colder months an increase so that happened and then it became you've all been naughty but no we haven't <laughs> you know you yeah. told us yeah. nine months ago that it's likely gonna come back again in the winter eat out to help out
0: yeah why do yeah. all been going out <laughs>
1: yeah it, you know I think it, 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 there was it's that thing of going you know I, that, that for me is that whole thing of just take some personal responsibility for, for what's happened and yeah you know there will be a, a day of reckoning there will for, for the government you know would, it, would another government dealt with it differently? We don't know. We'll never know, right? Hindsight is a wonderful thing. So we, you know, it's like any decision you make, Martin, you might decide I made the wrong decision there and you, you learn from it and move forward. The problem is the decisions I make are life and death. I think that's the, yeah. and, I, and I don't think I'd want to be in that position to yeah. make those decisions, you know? Um, but those decisions, we, we don't know, how, you know, presented with information and presented with data, which way we would have gone. At that point in time, Uh, those moments when things were happening really quickly uh, with a a speed that we weren't prepared for and you're given some information and go make a decision you make a decision and you know whether that was the right or the wrong decision we don't know we don't know if they'd have gone the other way if there'd been any difference we don't know we just get kind of get a hindsight view now from people and that's the bit that. You know, is 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 something we'll never we'll never really understand. You know, regardless of any um, investigation and how we handled it and those types of things, it's it's all going to be based on hindsight, and 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 that for me doesn't tell us the the true story. You know, we difficult decisions need to be made at difficult times, and you
0: know, I never underestimate I, I, anyone that's in public service that has to make decisions like that you know, more more, you know, kudos to them. However, I think it's okay to say and challenge those people that if, for example, Boris Johnson didn't go to any Cobra meetings
1: yep. until sure. the last
0: minute, that's reprehensible and we should be able to say so. Yep. I agree. After after the event, I think, um, like I say, I never you know, not a Tory at all. Um, however, in whatever way I could I wanted to buy into and support the message of the government yeah. to get through this because it wasn't it's not been the time for arguing. And I think we should we should still do that. It still amazes me when if I go to the supermarket and I see people brazenly not wearing a mask, they always look angry. I don't know why. <laughs> The people that don't wear masks always...
1: I got, I, got, I got shouted at once wearing a mask. I got called a sheep because I was walking around the shop. Um, which, which, which you know, you just kind of think to yourself, come on, you know, we're, we're better than this as as, as people. Um, but, you know, I kind of look at it now and go, what can we take? Positives out of this year, which has been a horrible year, and I look back over this year and go, you know, I mentioned it before, spending time with my family, yeah. massive positive... I don't know if my wife feels exactly the same way like but um you know for me it's been it's been a big positive that, that we've done that. I think the other things as well that we learned about ourselves and we learned about our neighbours I think that was really positive yeah. for me. We we had good good times over you know VE day and and and, and, and things like that where we had a little sit out in the front lawn and had a yeah. chat and a natter and a drink and got to know people that you know Potentially, we probably would have never built those relationships with had we been in our 100 mile an hour lives, you know. And I think, you know, I look at that, even the, the clap for the NHS on a Thursday, I thought that was brilliant. But we turned our neighbours and we turned that into a Thursday, after, Thursday evening go out. Stand on the doorsteps, have a nap we we took it in turns to make cocktails or 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 something each week, and we 'd kind of try and outdo each other each week with a different drink and stuff like that, and you'd kind of go out and knock on the door and leave it on the doorstep for them and they 'd come out we 'd have a drink and a natter for half an hour while uh while we did the clap and things like that and there's just things that I've done this year that I would never have thought i'd done I would have done because. Yeah. You just don't have the time to do it or you don't have the time to think about it because, yeah, I say, you're, you're 100 mile an hour all the time. Yeah, and, you know, for all the disruption and for all the challenges, I truly believe that we as a nation should come out of this stronger than ever um, in terms of some of those things. I'm not saying that will be the case for everybody because it's everybody's different circumstances, but I think there is a lot, that we can be thankful for this year outside of all the negative stuff. I think it's shown there's been a true spirit in, in, in some cases, community, you know, you look at some of the stuff that people are doing to just to help each other, you know, you, there's a story on the news every day about somebody helping somebody else because they're in a situation that is difficult for them to manage, you know, whether it's delivering, you know, computers out to kids and, and, and off their own back because they can't do the schoolwork or whether it's delivering the, the dinners, you know, there was that bloke on that was packing his rucksack every day and walking nearly 20 miles a day just round the streets of his local town delivering the, the, the meals to people. You just think, you know, this this country, is full of people that are phenomenal and you know if and if we come out at the end of this just recognizing those people you know i look towards the queen and a new year's honors list that if the, the statement and the mood of the country now is ignore the celebrities and ignore the people and that and actually let's have a real focus on the people that have done something that has proven us to be the best nation in the world by that sense of community that support that people have given that help that people have given that for me now would be the perfect way to end what has been a really really difficult year for people let's celebrate the the good that everybody's done rather than focus on the negative stuff that's happened
0: chris rainsforth fourth mbe Thank you. <laughs> i'd like that <laughs> Thank you for let's make this a weekly thing. Let's catch up again next week.
1: We'll do it every week, mate. I'm happy. I, I'll talk every day, mate. Yeah.
0: You know me. It's been right, good. Well, we will talk next week, then, mate.
1: Yeah, put somewhere in the calendar.
0: Rise, uh, grains forth. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Well done not getting this far? So we will be talking again soon, myself and Chris. And uh, Chris was probably one of the first people to support the charity with a donation, and that's Naomi House and Jack's Place. As I mentioned before, they're going to be the charity I'm going to be supporting as much as possible on the podcast. They do amazing work, but with uh, the specialism of the work they do, they provide care for life-limited children, people that children that have been diagnosed with life-limited diseases, and they also provide a lovely environment for their their final moments and offer support to the families of all affected so it's kind of harrowing but strangely uplifting work that they do but of a nine million per annum budget they only get 10% funding so everything else they get is from donations so I've put a link in the post on LinkedIn uh, please do uh, help support the last thing I did was a run around my local town with Bev. We were both dressed as Santas, and that was brilliant. It was very hot in there, but it was a really good laugh. And so far, we're up to over £500, and Chris actually was one of the first two people to kick off the fundraising. So anything you can give would be really appreciated. Thanks for listening, everybody, and stay safe.
1: (coughs) I haven't really woken up.